0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Episode 2 in our series here on Channel 9 on Microsoft Azure for Amazon AWS Cloud Professionals. My name is Keith Mayer. I'm a Principal Architect for the Microsoft Azure Cloud Platform here at Microsoft and joined again by my special co-host, Gerald Hugh. Hey, Gerald. How are you today? Good. How are you, Keith? Great, great. Hey, Gerald, um, for those people out there that that may not have seen Episode 1 and may not be familiar with you, could you spend just a couple seconds giving a brief introduction of yourself before we get started?
1: Yeah, so I'm a senior cloud architect over at Microsoft, uh, and I work in the DX organization and help uh, specifically with a lot of media and entertainment companies uh, since I worked at some places like Pixar and ILM in the past. uh, And I also worked at AWS, and that's why I'm talking with you right now. Great.
0: So we've got lots of AWS cloud background as well as Azure cloud backgrounds. You can help us kind of line up the dots as we as we look at the platforms and help get everyone more comfortable with applying their skills on the Azure side. Great. Well, thanks for joining us today. And uh, Gerald, last episode, in episode one, we spent a lot of time giving kind of an introduction to the Azure platform and some of the terminology and some of the top-level differences or changes between AWS and Azure so that uh, to help prompt people through beginning to explore the Azure platform. Um, but uh, what do you, where do you think we should start out at episode two? I mean, we, uh, we kind of want to help people step through the process of, of building out a sample cloud architecture on Azure through this series. So where do you think would be the, the next logical place for us to go?
1: yeah I think an always good logical place to go is with the network architecture so we're probably mm. going to be talking a lot about the Vnets and the um, connectivity into Azure today
0: yeah so that makes a lot of sense you know no, no matter what type of solution you're building whether it's on-prem or in the cloud it's going to rely on network connectivity for the components to communicate so yeah it definitely makes sense to think about network architecture first before starting to deploy VMs and storage and other workloads yeah so so let's let's do that and in our last episode, we, we looked at high-level architectures between deploying a sample solution, like a, a two- or three-tier web application on Azure and on Amazon AWS. And we saw that there were a lot of similarities, right? You know, On the AWS side, when we're thinking about network architecture, we're commonly building out a virtual private cloud and then subnets within that and then uh, perhaps elastic load balancers or NAT gateways or whatnot. And on Azure, we have a lot of that commonality. We just use different terminology for it, right? So instead of a VPC, we're building a VNet. And then inside that VNet, we're building out uh, subnets. And for each of those subnets, we can have network security groups that act sort of like a combination between security groups and network access control lists on the AWS side. Um, we have load balancers, both for internet traffic and internal traffic. Um, Ability to do custom routing on the Azure side, so so a lot of commonality. Uh, What do you say, Gerald? Does it make sense to maybe drop over into our lab and and walk through some of the basics of provisioning a VNet and a subnet and look at the different options as we go? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, well here we are in the the Azure portal, and I figure yeah probably makes sense, Gerald, to step through some of the basics from the Azure portal side for those that are more comfortable with the web UI that might be watching today. And then we can follow up and look at some of the scripted approaches for using, um, say, the Azure Cross-Platform CLI from Linux or Mac OS X to deploy a similar structure, and then also look at some of the template options. Does that, does that sound like a good approach, do you think, for everyone?
1: Yeah, definitely, and so that's one of the things that I always recommend to our customers when they start is always start in the portal just because you're going to get more familiar with, um, you know, the terminology that we use, you can see like how things connect together, and then when they get more familiar with it and they have built a few things in the portal, then they can easily see how those things relate to the ARM templates by doing the, um, the resource group pulling out to the ARM template, kind of like what you showed in the last video, but we'll show again later. hmm Okay, yeah. Yeah, so proto use the portal for
0: kind of prototyping that initial solution to get a better understanding of it and then and then um once you have that better understanding, then use that prototype you've built as kind of the basis for pre- preparing more of a scripted pattern approach, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, the first thing we need to do in building out our network architecture is to build the base virtual network that everything's going to live inside, right? And then we can populate that with the various subnets and whatnot. So so right from the Azure portal, I'm, I'm just going to go over to our new button, click on new. And then as we drop down our list of resources, you'll see networking as a category. And right inside networking, we've got all of our different networking components kind of surfaced as featured apps. So we've got the ability to build build a virtual network, and then some of the more advanced networking um, features of Azure that we'll be talking about a little bit later, like traffic manager and express route and virtual network gateways for hybrid connectivity and multi-vNet scenarios. But let's start off just with building a virtual network. And I'm gonna click on the create button and it's gonna prompt us for just a few pieces of information. So each virtual network we want to give a, a unique name to so that within our subscription we can identify each of those virtual networks. So uh, let's see, we're in the Contoso Sports subscription, so we'll say that this is Contoso's VNet, so we'll say VNet and I'll just give it a unique number as the descriptive name. And then we have to pick an address base and the address base could be one of the private address bases like a uh, 192.16 or 10.x or 170 I'm sorry, 192.168, 10.x or 172.16, uh, one of the address spaces from um, RFC 1918, the, the the private privately routable addresses. Or it could also be a, a registered address space. So if you're an organization that went out to one of the regional number authorities and has a registered address space and you want to deploy that internally on your Azure VNet, you can, you can do that as well. It just won't be able to be used for routing externally, right? It, it's more of an internal network address space that can use registered numbers. But in our case, I'm just going to use an internal 10.x address space. Um, it does warn me that the address space that I've currently selected is currently being used, or a portion of it is currently being used, with another virtual network. In my subscription and and that's okay the the reason that it's warning me here is if I were to connect those two VNets together of course from a routing standpoint each VNet would have to have a unique address space so that the Azure network fabric could route between them Um, as long as I don't try to connect those VNets together I can use whatever address space I want internally inside that VNet that conforms to one of those ranges that we just discussed And then um, we'll need to provide an initial subnet within this VNet that we're going to be deploying VMs on. And so we can have multiple subnets. This would just be our first when we're creating the VNet. So we'll say that, you know, maybe if we think back to that architectural diagram, we've got kind of that web tier as one of our tiers of our applications. Maybe we build out a web subnet, for instance. And then as part of that web subnet, maybe we're going to use just a portion of our overall address space. I'm just going to use the first slash 24 block, the first 256 addresses of that address space for this subnet. And then once we've got that basic VNet stuff figured out, we just have to supply the rest of our normal Azure resource information, like which subscription we're provisioning in, which resource group we want to organize this within. Um, So I can either create a new resource group for this and the other resources that I'm deploying as part of this application, or I can select an existing resource group, which I've got one set up, I'll I'll just select that. And then I click Create. And off it'll go, creating my new VNet. It'll take a few moments for it to create that VNet and build it and get it up and running. Uh, once, uh, Once my VNet's created up here at the top, in my bell area, it'll, when I click on that, it'll tell me that the deployment is successful and I can drill into the properties of that VNet and add additional subnets and other network resources or uh, other Azure compute resources to that VNet as well.
1: Yeah, and one of the great things about this is like once you have it um, deployed, you really can look for it in many different places. And so, if uh, you don't mind showing them, Keith, like you can show them that you can find it in the virtual network section, you can find it in the resource group section, and you can even find it um, in our global search. Uh, so you can kind of point to those places on the dashboard. Yeah, definitely.
0: That's a great. That's a great point. Yep. So, so over on our left navigation panel. Uh, As you mentioned, Gerald, we we can find all of our virtual network resources kind of grouped together by resource type just by um, scrolling down here, clicking browse, and then in our browse panel, our browse blade, scrolling down and selecting virtual networks. Now you can also pin, if you're going to be using virtual networks quite a bit, you can pin this category of resources over directly onto the side panel. You'll see I've got it pinned right here right now. And I've done that just by clicking on the little star button to light that up. And so once I've done that, regardless if I go in from the browse blade or the main blade here on the portal, it'll bring me to the same screen, a list of all the virtual networks throughout my subscription in all Azure data center regions and all resource groups. And I can find that new virtual network, Contoso vNet 3, and drill into the properties of it. And then on those properties, I've got my settings blade that I can use for adding additional network resources or configuration items to this virtual network so if I wanted to add additional top-level address spaces, maybe in addition to 10.x I also wanted to have 172.16 be a address space that I could build subnets within inside the same virtual network I could add that in or if I wanted to build additional subnets beyond my web subnet maybe I want to add my my subnet for the database servers that i'm going to be pre- provisioning as vm so i will add a data subnet and specify an address range and, and the portals pretty smart in suggesting the next logical address range from the previous set of subnets that are already created and if i want to associate that subnet with a network security group or a route table we'll be talking a little bit more about those a little later in the episode i can click and create new or s- select an existing network security group or route table for controlling traffic in and out of that subnet, or in terms of the route table, being able to customize the, the IP routing path for, for VMs in that subnet to reach either the outside world or other resources in the subnet or across a site-to-site connection. So pretty easy. So browsing and going into the virtual network category, that's one way of finding that. Um, you'll also remember that we put this virtual network into a resource group called Contoso RG. And in as we build out that resource group, we may have lots of other resources that are all kind of interrelated as part of a single deployment. We may have uh, VMs, storage accounts, uh, virtual networks, gateways, all different kinds of resources. So we find a lot of people are, are actually browsing in at a resource group level. And so if I go over here and click on Browse, Um, If I scroll up my browse blade you'll see resource groups in the list and I can pin that as well so that it'll show up over on my side panel. And When I click on resource groups it'll give me a list of all those resource groups that are currently in my subscription. You'll see I've got a bunch. The resource group that we built that virtual network inside was called Contoso RG and if I click into the properties of Contoso RG you'll see a list of all the various resources that have been previously built inside that resource group that are related to perhaps a particular application deployment, for instance. And um, if I wanted to see a complete list, there's only so much that actually displays in this tile. If I click on that tile, it'll actually exp- expand that into a full blade that will show me all of the various resources. So this becomes nice because it's more scoped around the context of a deployment rather than a discrete type of resources. As I scroll through there, you'll see there's my VNet as well, and when I drill into the properties of that VNet, there we go. Same place that I was before when I browsed into the virtual network. That's another way of finding it. And then um, you also mentioned global search, which is a relatively new feature in the portal, but I find it's really handy because a lot of times you may have built a resource Maybe last week or last night when you were half asleep and you forgot where you put it, right? And I don't know which resource group it's in, and I don't remember what kind of resource it was, but I remember it was called Contoso something, right? So I can go up here to my top bar and click on the search button, start typing, and it'll do a global search across my entire subscription, across all of the Azure Data Center regions that I've deployed resources in and all the resource groups and pull back a list of all of the items that match what I've, what I've typed. And so you, you see Contoso vNet3, I click on it, boom, I'm right in. So Global Search is probably the, fa- if you know the name of the resource or a portion of the name of the resource, Global Search is probably the fastest way of getting to the properties of that resource from the portal. So Gerald, we've we've shown how to get started with networking through the Azure portal. You think it makes sense to show some of the other ways of being able to work with Azure resources? Maybe show um, networking through the the Azure CLI, uh, which yeah. can run on Linux or Mac OS X or or on Windows. It's cross-platform. Does that make sense?
1: I definitely think so. I think the cross-platform CLI is uh, one of the most used tools, especially for all of our developers. And so, showing them that would be great. Yeah, definitely. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna
0: go down here to my toolbar, and I'm gonna bring up. Um, bash prompt. Um, This is actually using the new uh, Ubuntu user mode uh, command line shell for Windows 10. Um, So if you haven't seen that yet, it's kind of neat It's it allows you to run uh, Ubuntu Linux user mode commands and tools on top of Windows 10 natively without having to spin up a full Linux VM. But the same Azure CLI that we're going to walk through can be used on Windows natively on Mac OS X on a variety of different Linuxes, so it's not not tied to Windows ten. It's just a just a cool use case, right? Um, <laughs> once you once you install the CLI, and I think in episode one we gave everybody a resource they can walk through for installing that CLI. When you uh, when you drop to the bash the bash prompt, um, if you just run Azure by itself, um, that will load up the CLI and it'll give you some helpful guidance on getting started. Like first thing you need to do is log in to your Azure subscription through your Azure account. And so you can do Azure login and then specify a username and a password or you could use a certificate to log in or or whatnot. And um, one of the cool things with this CLI is that it's very very user friendly and very easy to discover what the command syntax is. And and the cool thing is the, the Azure CLI is very easy to uh, get started with, and it's very discoverable. For for instance, if you were attempting to log in for the first time to your Azure account, um, as we said, we do an Azure space login. And if I didn't know what the various parameters were for passing my username and my password or whatnot, I can at the end of any command line, any partial command line, I can just do a dash dash help and it will come back with a full list of all of those parameters. So we can see here that you read down the list, dash u or dash dash username can pass my username, dash p or dash dash password can pass my password. I also have options for authenticating with a service principal or a certificate or whatnot as well. Um, so I would just specify that to log into Azure, and, and it'll log me in and be successful. I, I should actually already be logged in, so I don't need to do a login. In my case, I should be able to confirm that I'm logged in by doing an Azure um, account show. And what that will do is it will show me who I'm logged in as. I'm logged in with my corporate credentials, and which Azure subscription I've currently selected. So it's the same subscription we were looking at through the portal, that Contoso Sports subscription. And um, one of the pieces to be aware of is that with Azure, much like with AWS, there's kind of a a classic mode of using and provisioning resources, and then there's a new mode called Azure Resource Manager, much like AWS has a classic mode and a newer mode. When we're using the Azure CLI, we want to make sure we're in that Azure Resource Manager mode so we can take advantage of a lot of the new capabilities. And so we can switch to that mode using the Azure config command and just specify mode and then ARM for Azure Resource Manager. And that will make sure that we're switched into the mode for provisioning and managing new resources instead of the old classic mode. Once we've uh, switched over to the Azure Resource Manager mode, um, one of the things that we saw in the portal was that our resources are organized into resource groups. And so if we wanted to find a list of resource groups that are currently available in our subscription that we can provision a virtual network inside, we could just do an Azure group list command. And it's going to go through connect to our Azure subscription over the internet using the standard ARM API. And pull back a list of all of the resource groups. So you see the same list that we had here in the portal. Which data center region they're provisioned within, and we'll see Contoso RG is uh, is uh, what sixth, seventh in the list uh, in the Southeast Asia data center data center region. So so now we know the name of the resource group that we can provision. If we wanted to get more details about any object that we're looking at through the azure cli we can we can generally use a common syntax of specifying azure the type of object like azure group for a resource group and then using the the keyword show followed by that that object name so i'll say contoso-rg and that will pull back more detailed Uh, values, more detailed information about that resource group. So in this case, as I scroll back a bit here, we'll see that um, inside this resource group, we've got our name, our data center region as the location. Uh, We optionally could have put tags on this resource group. Uh, Much like in AWS, you can use tags for organizing your resources. Same thing holds true in Azure as well. Um, And then it shows us a list of resources that are currently provisioned inside that resource group as well. Um, One of the interesting pieces about the Azure show command and and the output really of any of the Azure CLI commands is that in in addition to being listed in this uh, somewhat tabular format, um, there's also a JSON switch that we can use on the Azure CLI to output in JSON format. And that's really helpful if you're trying to use the Azure CLI as part of a larger scripting effort where you're trying to pull values programmatically. For instance, we see here that our resource group is in the location of Southeast Asia, but if we were trying to programmatically pull that location out as one, just one of the properties, for instance, we could drop down to our command prompt, issue the same command, but uh, include the JSON switch at the end, and you'll see that when the details return back, they're actually returned back in a, a very consumable JSON format. And so if we scroll up to the top here, here's the location. the location value in that JSON object that's been returned, object collection. And if we wanted to maybe return back into our script just one or two specific values out of the returned JSON object, well, we could use a standard tool like, uh, you know, maybe jq for instance and pull back just the location value, we'll say. So we could return that. Back into a script that would then do interesting things with it, like provision other resources in that same location that the resource group is created in, or, or, or things of that nature. So really handy uh, to use that JSON switch when you're when you're uh, trying to leverage the Azure CLI uh, as part of a script rather than leveraging it interactively. Well. We've talked a little bit about getting started with the Azure CLI and using resource groups, but really the focus of today is around networking. So let's look at doing some of the basic networking stuff. So in Azure, uh, in our Azure CLI, we've got a general keyword called network. And if we run Azure network, we'll see that because there's lots of different network objects that are available and different ways of configuring network very flexibly in Azure, we've got lots of choices here. So we've got uh, everything from managing VNets to subnets, to load balancers. Uh, lots, of, lots of complexity and options for load balancers. Public IP addresses um, in the uh, AWS world, which you might think of as an elastic IP addresses. Uh, VM NICs, network security groups for controlling inbound and outbound traffic routing, Azure DNS. Um, traffic manager for global load balancing, route tables, local gateways, VPN gateways, on and on and on. Um, So lots to kind of dig into when you're exploring networking. But in our case, let's just go through a basic example of doing something similar to what we did in the portal, but do it through the CLI. So we'll build out a a new virtual network. So I'll use Azure Network uh, VNet and specify create, and then I'll specify the name of my virtual network. Uh, that I want, that I wish to create. So let's call this one Contoso uh, VNet 04. The last one was called 03. Um, and then we'll just give a couple common parameters to specify what resource group we want that created in and which uh, data center location. So we'll use uh, Southeast Asia, for instance, same data center region that we were looking at before. Um, and there is one uh, other parameter that we'll need to specify, which is the overall address prefix that we wish to use as part of this VNet. So we'll do the same thing that we did through the portal. We use as a default 10 uh, address space, 10.0, with a slash 8 uh, as a CIDR block. We'll run that and uh, see how we do. So it's uh, creating the virtual network. And in just a moment, it'll return. And should, we should have a new VNet that, uh, that we can interact with at that point. Now, this new VNet that's being created will be a VNet that has no subnets inside of it. So unlike the portal, where when we created the VNet, we populated it with one subnet by default, when we do that through the CLI, it builds the VNet with no subnets inside of it. So we just need to populate each of the individual subnets using an Azure VNet subnet create command And then build out the address space that we wish to use for each subnet inside the vnet.
1: Right, and kind of like stuff like this is exactly why, you know, building the objects in the portal first kind of helps you discover and figure out like the layers that you need to build um, when you're doing something in the CLI. So in this example, you also noticed when Keith built out the uh, vnet. That he, you don't see that. Oh, like this address space is being used by another VNet in the same resource group. That's a, that's something that the portal showed you that this doesn't obviously. So mm-hmm. there's a lot more, um, like knowledge that you have to have on your side to make sure that you're doing the right things. I'd say.
0: Yep. 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 Definitely. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that approach of using the portal first, get familiar and comfortable, and then start automating through the CLI and through templates and whatnot. Um, So I just did a while we were talking I did an Azure Network VNet list and we'll see that uh, VNet 04 Contoso VNet 04 is now in our list as a new VNet and now if I wanted to add a a subnet to that VNet I can just do Azure Network VNet subnet create specify a new subnet name we'll say something like web subnet for instance and for that um, for that web subnet Um, just a couple parameters that I'll I'll need to specify. So very similarly to creating the VNet, I'll need to um, specify my resource group name, so contoso-rg. I'll also need to specify which VNet inside that resource group this is going to be a a subnet of. So we'll say contoso-vnet-04, and then um, the address prefixes that I will be using for just that subnet inside the overall address space, so we'll say maybe it's going to be something like 10.1.0.0 with a slash 24 mask as the first kind of class C type slider block within that uh, within that address range. And if I didn't fat finger anything, we'll go ahead and hit enter, and it should uh, create that new subnet. And then we, uh, once the subnet's created, we will. We could proceed through creating additional subnets as needed, and um, and then we'll do a, a show on the VNet just to pull back the configuration and, and make sure that it looks uh, that it looks accurate for what we've provisioned. Okay, so the subnet's been created. Let's just go ahead and do a Azure Network VNet show, and I will specify the name of my VNet, VNet 04, and then. We'll say that's in resource group, contoso, RG. And it'll come back and show me, here's the overall properties of my VNet. Here's the overall address space. Here's the first subnet that I've just built. Here's the address prefix for that subnet. And if I had additional subnets, it would come back with that as well. And just like we saw a little earlier on our Azure Group command, we could also prefix this with or suffix this and uh, this command with a dash-dash JSON switch and have that same output spit back into JSON so that we can programmatically. Loop through, figure out what the subnets are for a particular VNet, and use a script to provision VMs on an appropriate VNet with or appropriate subnet within that uh, within that virtual network. So Gerald, we've looked at creating a VNet with some subnets as a base network infrastructure through the portal. We've looked at doing the same thing more programmatically through the Azure CLI. But I'm finding that a lot of the customers and partners I'm working with are really excited about the templating capabilities that are built into Azure Resource Manager to be able to take an entire configuration without having to iterate through multiple CLI commands and package it up as a deployable template uh, using Azure Resource Manager. Do you, do you see the same thing? A lot of, a lot of people moving down the, te- the template path?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, uh, templating is definitely the fastest and quickest way to get uh, your resources added into Azure. And once you become super familiar with what exactly you want, um, I find that the customers will tend to lean towards the templating method to get their automation and all their scripting done. Um, And the website that we've got shown right now is something that we alluded to in the first um, episode, where we have these quick start templates for basically hundreds of different deployments, anything you could possibly think of. So it's a great place, once you've already gotten familiar with the portal and the CLI tools, go through and look for things that you possibly are um, are building. Because a lot of times, someone has already built something very similar that you can just tweak um, with the templates.
0: Absolutely. And these are all freely available out on GitHub, right? And so anybody can... Yep. Submit pull requests, bring them down, be able to submit their their own changes if if, if you want to expand on those, and then um, and then push them back up, and and um, and be able to you know submit a pull request to have evaluated, right? So it's a very much a community effort as well. Definitely. Yep. So I'm on the the Quick Start portal page, and what I did is I just did a search for virtual network, and you'll see a, a bunch of different Quick Start templates as starting points that are related to virtual networks. Um, Obviously, templates could include a lot more than just the virtual network. It can include the entire deployment, VNet, VM, storage, everything. Um, But in our case today, we're just talking about virtual networks. So I'll drill down to one of the templates that focuses on building a base virtual network with a few subnets. I'm going to click through to that template, and you'll see that it gives us the ability to take this template. And if we, after we read through what it does, if we like what, what it does, we can actually click this deploy to Azure button and it'll do a deep link directly into the, um, the Azure portal and prompt us for the parameters of the template. So that's actually a super easy way to test yep. out any of these templates from a, a POC standpoint is uh, just click on the Deploy to Azure button and uh, you'll see, you know, just goes right through into the Azure portal and boom, here's the parameters that were outlined within that template. All of our templates um, in the Quick Start Gallery also have the parameters documented. So in this case, because it's focused on provisioning a new virtual network with a couple subnets, its parameters are pretty basic. VNet, VNet address prefix, and then a, a subnet name and prefix for each of the subnets you're provisioning. But it also provides guidance on deploying this template programmatically. So if you are using Azure PowerShell or the Azure cross-platform CLI that we were just looking at, it'll actually give you the command line syntax that you can use for deploying this template right from the public GitHub repo. Now if you wanted to see that template in more detail and maybe pull down a copy of it and and take a look at it, you can also click the learn more on GitHub link and that'll click through to the underlying GitHub repo, and you'll see the template uh, for each of these quick start templates start off with a JSON file called azuredeploy.json. And if I click into that, you'll see that um, once we get past the schema, we've got each of our parameters identified in the first block of the JSON file. So here's the VNet name and address prefix and subnet information. We have the option of specifying variables that can be used to pass into our resources that are being provisioned and then we've got the actual resources themselves we wish to provision so in this case we've got a few resources that are being built out of virtual network along with uh, the subnets that we passed in it's a pretty pretty easy template Um, so you can use these quick start templates copy and paste them or 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 clone them into your own local github repo and then or or github uh, location and then be able to customize those for your own deployments and add to them as well the other option though that kind of aligns to what Gerald was mentioning a little earlier about using the portal to prototype your solution is that instead of using the quick start templates, you can also drill right into a resource group that you have built out with a VNet inside of it and use the export template feature of the resource group to take the virtual network, the subnets, all of the resources that are inside that resource group and spit out a template for you to use as a base starting point. So that's a really easy way of prototyping in the portal, exporting it into a template that you can then customize and tweak here and there. And then in addition, from the Azure PowerShell or .NET or or the Azure cross-platform CLI, We actually generate a full script that can be used to um, run the Azure, in this case the Azure CLI, to pass in that template, create the resource group, and deploy from that template. So, we've given you kind of all the tooling to be able to prototype through the portal, build something that's reproducible, custom and tweak, customize it and tweak it, and then deploy it programmatically end to end, all starting from from the Azure portal. So, some, some pretty cool scenarios for beginning, beginning to start out on Azure, building out your network infrastructure, and then and then moving into more of a repeatable pattern from a deployment standpoint. Would, would you agree, uh, Gerald? Is that the way that… Uh, yeah.
1: That… Definitely, and one of the things that I'll also mention is that um, one, of the, one of the things my customers tend to do a lot and what I recommend them to do is to use the those Quickstart templates as guides for their deployment. So you already built out this kind of prototype. You take the exported template and you can actually read through the Quickstart templates and pull out only what you need for another deployment of, let's say, like a file system or let's say some database deployment, and then you can put that within your template, and then you can just deploy that, and you can compare and contrast um, those things, and you're really able to prototype quickly uh, that way.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, definitely.
1: So, so Gerald, we've we've spent
0: some time building out the base VNet structure with subnets inside of it. But there's quite a bit more to virtual networking, right? Uh, in, the, in addition to the VNet itself, there's also the connectivity that you have to think about of you know, end users you know, coming from the Internet or coming from your on-premises location into that VNet. So there's this notion of front-end connectivity from the public Internet using you know, perhaps load-balanced or reserved public IP addresses, Um, being able to protect that with things like access control lists, being able to globally load balance across deployments in multiple Azure regions for high availability and and, uh, geo-distributed traffic handling through things like Traffic Manager and Azure DNS. And then for end users that are in the on-prem side of things where you want them to be able to hit uh, applications over a private connection, being able to set up a, a hybrid connectivity from your Azure VNet to the on-prem location through site-to-site VPN or high-speed direct express route connections that are not even going across the internet right with direct route you're working customers are working with one of our express route telecommunications partners to provide basically a direct path either from their wide area network or a direct path from their data center or a colo that they may be using directly into Azure at, at speeds of you know up to 10 gig per second, depending on the, the telco carrier. Um, do you see a lot of those a lot of those hybrid options being used by 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 the customers you're working with these days?
1: Tons. Um, ExpressRoute is definitely a very popular um, path for a lot of our customers, enterprise or not, because mm-hmm. of the connectivity that allows you. And like you said, you mentioned that, um, you know, we can get up to 10 gig of speed. Uh, one one main difference between ExpressRoute and other providers is that when you get an ExpressRoute port, you're actually getting two ports instead of one, uh, mainly because of uh, redundancy. Um, but what that also allows you is for a 10 gig um or for a 5-gig, let's say, for example, um, you actually have two 5-gig lines. So you can technically burst up to 10 gigs um, and have that, like, kind of backing that where it's like, I have the 5-gig SLA, um, whereas if you were doing it in another provider, you would have to actually build out two separate ports. So that's a pretty large and substantial difference. Another Mm. big difference that we do have is the... um, the unlimited egress option from our premium offerings uh, within route And a lot of customers that I talk to, they they never know how to plan or account for something that they've never looked at, right? right? And egress is something that people don't really look at when they have traditional data centers and they have traditional connectivity. And so they say, I don't know how much data I'm going to be pulling out. Well, if that's something that is really concerning if they have something that really does a lot of egress we have this option and um, it's really great for a lot of our customers
0: mm, great and and you had touched uh, you'd mentioned briefly SLA I think one of the other differentiators that I've seen is that you know these hybrid connectivity options whether it's express route or site- to- site VPN gateways that are in Azure connecting back to a on-prem environment customers that have implemented hybrid connectivity tend to rely pretty heavily on that link and from an Azure perspective, we provide an SLA around the availability of the vnet gateways that are serving that connection in the Azure vnet and my understanding is it doesn't necessarily apply to other cloud providers is that is that what you've seen as well
1: yeah um, our SLAs are are much like more stringent I've seen than other providers that I've worked with. And it always surprises customers, um, not when you're working through the solution, but when a problem actually happens, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're working in the other provider and they go, oh, wow, like I didn't know that, you know, like we didn't have this SLA or like that's not what this SLA stands for. So it's definitely something that if connectivity and uptime are really important to you, like it's something that you should talk to with your... Your Azure professional as well, well as any other professional that you're talking to for cloud.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and one of the other big differences that I've I've seen is that with ExpressRoute in particular, um, rather than ExpressRoute, rather than connecting just into one Azure data center region, like a lot of the other cloud providers have, where you know you're connecting into this data center region with ExpressRoute, you're really connecting into the Azure backbone network, right? And so if you've got application deployments across multiple data center regions through one ExpressRoute circuit, you can then ride the Azure backbone to gain access to, to route traffic through your ExpressRoute connection to any Azure region within a continental area of your circuit, or if you're using the premium offering of ExpressRoute any, anywhere globally, in any of our Azure public cloud data center regions. So it's um, really providing some strong value to take advantage of the extensive network backbone that we have for Azure for your own application traffic. And um, from what I've seen, other cloud providers don't generally do that. They generally route data center region to data center region traffic for customers over the public internet, rather than routing across their backbone. Um, And in terms of choosing locations to connect in to Azure, we've got lots of choices uh, worldwide for ExpressRoute and lots of carriers. So if if, uh, if you're currently working with a telecommunications carrier, I'd be surprised if they weren't currently an ExpressRoute partner. The other option that ExpressRoute provides though is if you're using some of the Office 365 services like um, Skype for Business for instance for voice traffic where you need some QoS well obviously over the internet you don't really have QoS but you can use we can leverage that same ExpressRoute circuit to provide high-speed and uh, high-speed networking and QoS for voice traffic for Skype for Business in Office 365 over that common circuit so with one circuit You can now connect to kind of a full portfolio of cloud solutions, whether they're IaaS-based applications that you're migrating or deploying, whether they're PaaS-based services that you're spinning up for new applications that you're building as cloud-first applications, or whether they're SaaS solutions like Office 365, Skype for Business. Um, So definitely some, uh, some good areas to keep in mind. Um, Beyond just raw connectivity, though, that's only part of the overall networking story with Azure. We also have um, a lot of other options to take advantage of, like Azure DNS, our globally distributed public DNS service, so that rather than relying on uh, DNS that might be located in just one region, Azure DNS is located across the world highly available. Very, uh, it responds back to to uh, any cast addresses so that it basically responds back from the closest Azure DNS server instance using edge-based name servers um, for that traffic. So, so any of your public DNS records putting it in, into Azure DNS are is a great option because. You can scale your application across multiple Azure data center regions, but what's the first thing that someone's generally going to hit before they hit your application? They're going to hit DNS. and If they get a slow DNS response back from some DNS servers that are located in, in suboptimal areas of the world, um, they're gonna, they're, they're, their expectation, their, their perception is going to be that your application is slow for gaining access to it. So you want your DNS responses to be as fast and scalable as the applications that you're moving to the cloud. Uh, Security is certainly another big area that we have lots of customers and partners focused around. And uh, in order to secure traffic in and out of a VNet or even within a VNet between different VMs or subnets, we have network security groups, which are sort of a combination between what AWS provides as network ACLs and security groups—they're stateful, like security groups—but they have more flexibility in how they're assigned. Right? They can be assigned at a subnet level, or at an individual VM NIC level to several to one or several VM NICs, and it gives you a lot of flexibility. Right? Because in the uh, in competing cloud platforms, when I'm building out security like this, what my observation has been is that you end up having to build out lots of different security groups or ACL-type objects to secure the different types of traffic, whereas with network security groups, you can make a pretty robust set of network security group rules inside of a single network security group object that you assign at a subnet to be able to control traffic that's more general in and out of that subnet as a whole as well as be able to control traffic that's more granular down to a subset of VMIP addresses on, on, that, uh, on that subnet. And then certainly we have the ability to assign at a VM NIC level as well if you needed to get to ultimate granularity. Um, but is that what you're seeing as well, Gerald? Do you see a lot of um, flexibility in terms of how NSGs are, are designed versus, versus um, some of the other cloud providers?
1: Well, definitely, and one of the main things that I noticed, you know, at some of the other cloud providers, is that people uh, kind of abuse the the layering fashion of their security <laughs> groups. And like you said, they they have these huge security groups that are like hundreds and hundreds of um, like lists long. And what ends up actually happening is that actually slows down your network. Um, and so this mm. is just kind of like a a warning or a heads up to people out there in general using these kind of like huge layered security groups is that when you have all these things essentially you're going to be slowing down the traffic through your network because they literally have to look through and say does my traffic allow through this one, this one, this one and until it allows that traffic you're literally going through that list and then coming out of it and so I've actually had a few customers where that severely slowed down their application. Wow,
0: wow so by collapsing that down into a single NSG in some cases per subnet that can have that can cater to that kind of uh, breadth and granularity, it, it may actually help to accelerate network traffic. I hadn't thought of that. That's a, a great point. Yep. Yep, definitely. And uh, you know, going a little further, we talked about assigning NSGs to a NIC of a VM. And we assign it at a NIC level because we provide the ability to have VMs provisioned with one or more network interface cards. Uh, so that you could have a VM perhaps running as a network virtual appliance with a NIC on a DMZ subnet and a NIC on an internal subnet and using that network virtual appliance as a a, a, a deeper, stateful inspection firewall. You know, the NSG rules are basically layer four rules. So if you were if you had an application where you wanted to have more of like a layer seven inspection uh, for for firewalls, you could use a, a network virtual appliance with multi NICs to do that, and um, and we've got quite a few offerings uh, of network virtual appliances within um, within Azure Marketplace as well. In fact, if we um, if we just pop out for a moment, back out to uh, Azure Marketplace, we can take a look at that list together real quick. So I'm just going to go over to um, the Azure Marketplace site and the Azure Marketplace is where we have uh, thousands of third-party ISV solutions and I'll just do a quick list for firewall we'll say and you'll see you know, lots of options for third-party firewall solutions uh, from from many different vendors similarly you may have very advanced uh, load balancing requirements and so if we look at uh, load balancers there's lots of options from big names in the load balancing space that are all deployable as Azure Virtual Appliances and for any of these if you click on one of those Azure Marketplace solutions you can select the tier of that solution that you'd like and then uh, click create virtual machine and it'll take you right into the Azure portal through another deep link similar to when we're using quick start templates and give you kind of a first party experience of uh, provisioning that VM from from that template in the Azure Marketplace, and then from a building standpoint, you can either buy licenses from the, uh, the third-party provider for the software that's pre-provisioned inside there, or in some cases, have it actually just bill you through the normal Azure billing process. So pretty easy to get started and, 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 uh, and, and pretty cool for being able to easily spin up network virtual appliances from that standpoint. Uh, Load balancing, we just mentioned. Load balancing um, is actually a a big topic in and of itself when we're designing scalable, highly available application architectures. And we've got several ways of allocating IP addresses and load balancing across them. Uh, We certainly have the ability to have public IP addresses Uh, in in AWS world similar to what would be called an elastic IP assigned to the load balancer we also have the ability to assign public IP addresses directly to a VM's primary NIC interface Um, if it's assigned to a load balancer we can use that load balancer to load balance traffic across multiple VM instances for uh, more highly available scenarios but we do have some other load balancing options beyond just normal IP based load balancing Built into, uh, built into Azure um, and we can use these options in more of a tiered based approach so that uh, we can use these in a tiered based approach so that if we had multiple deployments across different data center regions we could use Azure traffic manager as a global DNS load balancer to load balance across those multiple deployments Inside of each deployment, we could have a layer four load balancer with a public IP address assigned to it, load balancing across the application workloads at a VM level, or if we needed more sophisticated layer seven type load balancing, we've got our own network, our our own uh, application gateway appliance that can be put in place or we can use one of the Azure Marketplace load balancing solutions if we need some really advanced capabilities around load balancing. Uh, So we've got the ability to kind of start small and grow up through these various load balancing needs all the way to multi-region distributed application workloads. So pretty sophisticated from that standpoint. Well, Gerald, today we walked through a bunch of different options available with Azure Storage for standard storage, for premium storage, for faster SSD access. And we also looked at the various options that standard storage can provide beyond just storing disks in the cloud for virtual machines, providing object storage for block blobs, file storage that's accessible via SIFS or SMB3, uh, table storage for kind of simple key value type databases, and uh, queue storage for building distributed applications that have uh, queues used to connect the various application tiers. Um, Gerald, thanks so much for, for joining us today. It was re- really a pleasure having you on the show again and, and uh, getting your insights.
1: No problem, Keith. Anytime.
0: All right. And thank you, everyone, for joining us today as well. We look forward to seeing you back in our next episode of Microsoft Azure for Amazon AWS Cloud Professionals. And be sure to check out the resources that are located at the bottom of the page that you're watching today's video on to help you get started further with, uh, with Azure and storage. Thanks so much, everyone. See you next time.